Chapter Twenty One of England, Canada, and the Great War. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. England, Canada, and the Great War by Louis Georges Desjardins. Chapter Twenty One: The Situations of Eighteen Sixty Five and Nineteen Hundred to Nineteen Fourteen Compared. Our nationalist opponents of all colonial participation in the imperial wars affirm that Canada should have abided with the Convention of eighteen sixty five. Are they not aware that since that year a great deal of water has run along the rivers, that the world, although perhaps not wiser, has at least grown half a century older, that so many ancient conditions have radically changed, that nations, like individuals, to be progressive cannot go on marking time on the same small hardened spot? Any man sincerely desirous to form for himself an enlightened opinion on the question of imperial defence must first admit that two national and general situations, totally different, create widely different duties. Let us compare for a moment 1865 and 1900 to 1914, yesterday and today, as the nationalist leader says. Fifty years ago the German Empire was non-existent. Nothing pointed to the early birth of this terrible child destined to grow so rapidly to such colossal proportions. The French Empire was the leading continental power, Great Britain, then as now, the leading naval power, both military and mercantile. Those two nations, without a formal alliance, had been united ever since the days when Lord Palmerston favoured the advent of Napoleon III. The union of England and France was doing much to maintain the peace of the world. The United States were just emerging from the trials of their great civil war. They had to solve the very difficult problem of their national reconstruction their population did not exceed thirty-five millions. How different was the situation of 1900 to 1914! The German Empire had become formidable with her population of sixty-eight million, her soldiers numbering more than seven million, with one million of men permanently under arms, ever ready for an offensive campaign, with her fleet much enlarged yearly at the cost of enormous financial sacrifices. Allied to Austria-Hungary, with her population of fifty million, to Italy with her thirty-six million, then being one of the Triple Alliance, supported by Turkey and Bulgaria, in all a combined strength of a hundred and fifty million bodies and souls, with the Germans exalted to the utmost by persistent appeals to their feelings and to their ambitious dreams. The American Republic grown to the rank of a first-class power, with a population of one hundred million and a magnificent military fleet. Was it even sensible to pretend that such altered worldly conditions did not make the revision of the understanding arrived at in 1865 an imperious necessity. They are living in an imaginary world. Those of us who assert that Canada could remain a British colony under a permanent agreement, never to be amended, by which the mother country would be bound to defend her, at all costs and all hazards, whenever and by whomsoever attacked, Canada in the meantime refusing, whatever the perils of England might be, to spend a dollar and to send one man for her defence there could be but one issue to the consideration of such propositions, the dissolution of the British Empire. I regret to say that Mr. Bourassa has audaciously declared that such has been the objective of his oppositionist campaign to the Canadian participation in imperial wars. If Canada, through its constitutional organ, the Ottawa Parliament, had signified to England in 1914 that she would not take the least part in the war imposed upon her by Germany, nor do anything to help her allies, France and Belgium, could she, without blushing with shame, have claimed the protection of the British flag if her territory had been attacked? 
would not england have been fully justified in taking the initiative to break the bond which could henceforth but be disastrous to her our shameless attitude towards her at the hour of her peril being most favourable to her mortal enemy have i not every sound reason to conclude that canadian participation in the present war was in no way whatever the outcome of an imperialist attempt to drag her against her will in the conflict into which she so nobly hastened to enter with the determination to fight to the last and to deserve her fair share of the glory which will be but one of the rewards that will accrue to all those who will have united together to save liberty and civilization from the german barbarous onslaught End of chapter twenty one